skies, smiling at me. Nothing but blue skies do I see. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, you wonderful geeky people. Welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. This is Reggie here again with another hour of geeky stuff. And to what do you owe that Irving Berlin intro? Well, it's simple, really. Blue Sky, the social media network that is absolutely not overrun by fascists or ruled by an evil billionaire, has just become open to everyone. That's right. Until very, very recently, it was invite only. But now, anyone, absolutely anyone, can go to bluesky.app from any phone, any tablet, any laptop, any desktop, if anyone's still using one of those, and set up their own Blue Sky account, because everyone is now invited to the party. Although you are invited to the party, you don't have to come. And all of those people who made Twitter unflipping usable can jolly well stay on the hell site, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I'm mentioning that right at the top because, of course, we're on Blue Sky. It is the Destination Venus preferred social media network. So far, we quite like it. Uh, you can find us there at Destination Venus, all on word. Dot bsky.social is where you'll find us. Uh, but to be honest, if you go to Blue Sky and you just stick Destination Venus Harrogate into the search box, you will probably find us. Now, I should be clear, I do not work for Blue Sky. This is not a paid advertisement for the Blue Sky social media network. It's just that we're there and we like it. At least we do at the moment. In many ways, it's very like Twitter. It doesn't have an algorithm. And as previously noted, far, far, far fewer fascists. Uh, largely because when it was an invite-only site, nobody invited them. Also, one of the absolute joys of Blue Sky is if somebody does turn out to be not your cup of tea, if you block them, you will never see anything from them again. And everything they've ever done, all of your interactions with them will simply evaporate into the ether. It's such a calm place right now. It's kind of like Twitter used to be before it was horrid. We're there. Hope to see you there too. Uh, but that's not what this week's episode is all about. Goodness me, no. We are, in fact, going to start with a bit of a roundup of recent geeky news. Except, as usual, it doesn't, Nurse Chapel. It really doesn't. It's funny, though. So, if you have been following Star Wars, and particularly all of the gossip and nonsense that's around Star Wars, you will know that there was a show called The Mandalorian. Even if you've never seen it, you will probably know a couple of things. You will know that it introduced a character called Baby Yoda. You might know that, in fact, he was not a baby Yoda at all. He was Grogu, and he just happens to be the same species as Yoda. You might know that. 
you might know that the star of the programme, who appears in at least a couple of episodes, is Pedro Pascal. And you will know that Pedro Pascal is not in many of the episodes, even though the character he plays is, because what they mostly did was get a stunt performer to wear the, wear the, the helmet on the set, because part of the thing with the Mandalorian is that he never takes off his helmet. So honestly, could be anybody under there. All they needed to do was get Pedro Pascal into a, a, a recording studio to do the voice work. Now, you might know that one of the characters in The Mandalorian was called Grief Carver, and he was played by the awesome Carl Weathers, who died uh, last week. Um, more about him and other good people later. You might also know that there was a character called Cara Doom in The Mandalorian. She appeared in a couple of episodes in season one, and she was quite a popular character. She was basically um, a, a rebellion drop trooper uh, who had no one to fight now the rebellion was over. She had a deep-seated hatred of everything Imperial, and she was, I believe, what the young people might call a stone-cold badass. Now, this character was played by Gina Carano. Somebody that I personally had never heard of until she appeared in The Mandalorian, but she had apparently carved out quite the career for herself in the old mixed martial arts arena. And yeah, fair play to her for that. Not the first person from the sort of athletic combat sports or sports entertainments to make their way into acting. She was not, I think it's fair to say, the finest actress who ever graced the screen, but she wasn't terrible. And I confess, I quite liked the character. The actor, on the other hand, well, let's just say that from what I've heard, me and her would not be friends. I don't think she'd like me at all. I think she can safely be said to, um, to hold her opinions somewhat to the right of mine. Now that in itself is fine. I have no problem with people who don't agree with me. I don't even actually have a problem with people who don't like me. Goodness knows there are enough of them. I'm a geek. At school, nobody liked me. I got beat up a lot. So that I'm cool with. However, one of the problems that actors who hold opinions, whatever those opinions are, actually, um, one of the problems they have is it used to be if you said something really stupid, even incredibly offensive, the only people who knew about it were the people you said it to. Or maybe the people who were near you when you said it, if you said it loudly in a public place. I am old enough to remember a time when really the only way that anything like that would ever come back to bite you is if you said it in front of a journalist. These times, however, are not those times. And it seems that Ms. Carano held some opinions which many people, I'm going to include myself in that list, many people found objectionable. And she made some statements in a public forum, um, the forum formerly known as Twitter. And she made some statements which 
have been categorised by others. I would never categorise them in any way at all, just in case her lawyers happen to be listening. But they have been categorised by some people as homophobic, certainly as transphobic. Um, She's been accused of racism and there was some anti-Semitism wrapped up in there as well. Now, this led, as these things do, to howls of protest. And I think possibly, given the transphobic nature of some of her online commentary, some of those howls of protest might have come from star of the show, Pedro Pascal. Because Pedro Pascal's sister is trans. And I can't imagine he took kindly to some of the comments that Carano made. Now, none of this, of course, is news. This happened some time ago. And Disney was quite clear, or at least Lucasfilm was quite clear. And clearly, that's Disney. When her little comment storm was at its height and the attendant outrage to the aforementioned comment storm was equally vehement, Lucasfilm basically said, look, Gina Carano does not currently work for us and we have no plans to employ her again. Now, that seems to have come as both a surprise and a disappointment to Gina Carano, who had got quite excited about being part of the whole Star Wars thing. I have to say, like many people, she seems to have completely misunderstood what Star Wars is all about. But that's by the by. There had been some talk. I think it was only talk. I think it was just speculation and rumour and the odd suggestion. But there had been talk she might get her own spin-off series. And of course, that is now very definitely not on the cards. Except, as is often the case, when people face consequences for their actions, Gina Carano feels quite indignant and she feels very wronged. She feels as though the liberal media is coming for her. In short, she feels that she's being discriminated against because of her beliefs and because of things she's said. And she would appear to believe that this is an unconscionable infringement on her freedom of speech and a tremendous act of discrimination against her, which should not be allowed to stand. Which means she's suing Disney! Someone's actually gone and done it. She's gonna go and sue Disney for discrimination. Now, regardless of the legal basis on which she's making this cl- this complaint, and regardless of the moral basis on which she's making this complaint, both of which we'll come back to, I confess I may have fallen about laughing just a little bit when I saw the headline that told me that Gina Carano was suing Disney because I thought, hang on, have you seen how much money Disney's got? They can afford much bigger lawyers than you can, is what I thought. And then I saw that famed free speech advocate Elon Musk, who at one point I think might have been the richest man in the world. I'm not sure he still is. You know, he's in terms of he's not short of a penny or two. And he has stepped in and is financially supporting Carano's lawsuit. Now, on the face of it, that might give her a chance because, you know, money can do an awful lot in lawsuits. 
But um, I think I do need to point a couple of things out to Ms. Carano. So um, I think, first of all, we do need to say freedom of speech is a legal concept that is there to protect you against government interference. So were a person to make, let's say, an anti-Semitic comment on Twitter, the government can't come for you for that. Um, there are hate speech rules and laws about hate speech in America. But generally speaking, if you're, as long as you're within that, you, know, you, can, you can make allusions to con, no, global anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and that kind of thing on Twitter as much as you like. The government can't come for you. That does not mean that there should be no consequences to what you say. One of the reasons you say things, surely, is so that people will know what you think and what you believe. And presumably the reason you want that to happen is you want the people who agree with you to see that you stand with them. And so to go back to Ms. Carano, I, I think that's happened. I look at the people who are supporting Gina Carano and, OK, if that's the company she chooses to keep, that is entirely up to her. But equally, those people who do not agree with what you've said Although, yes, there can be no legal consequences to you having said the thing you're perfectly within your rights to say because of freedom of speech. All the people who think that what you said is objectionable and vile. Their freedom of speech means they are allowed to say that and they are allowed to say I personally hold very different opinions and I choose not to work with a person who believes the things that have been espoused in that statement. So. If what has happened is Disney or Lucasfilm or people at Disney or Lucasfilm have decided, yeah, do you know what? We don't really want to work with that person. We just don't like them very much. They are actually within their rights to do that. If they were to say, oh, we don't like her because she's a woman, that would be discriminatory. She can't avoid being a woman. If they were to say, we don't want to work with her because we don't work with people of her ethnicity. That, too, would not be allowed. That would be discrimination. You can't help your ethnicity. But we don't want to work with that person because we don't like that person's opinions. That, that I don't think is protected. Now, one has to be careful with this sort of thing because, of course, that does cut both ways. But I really don't think this is a free speech case. Then... There's the fact that you can only sue somebody if you have suffered a demonstrable loss. And again, I don't think that Carano can show that she has because she was not actually a cast member on The Mandalorian. She was a recurring character. Now, that may not sound like that much of a difference. She was a, a, a member of the cast for several episodes. She was a character who appeared in several different episodes. It was perhaps not unreasonable for her to assume that she might have appeared in more episodes. But there was no guarantee of that ever. As I understand it, if Carano wants to show that she has suffered a material loss, then she would need to show that she was going to get work from Disney that has since been denied to her and that it's been denied to her because of her 
beliefs. And I don't think she can show that. And as I say, because I don't think this is a free speech issue anyway, legally, I don't think saying that showing that she had been denied future work because of her beliefs would fly. Breach of contract would. But if she was not a cast member, if she was a recurring character, then she will not have a contract that guaranteed her more work. So I don't think she's got a leg to stand on. Disney, as you might expect for a massive soulless corporation, is being very quiet at the moment. Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney and is a bit of a villain himself, as far as I'm concerned. This, I think, just to be clear, is one of those cases where I actually think Disney's right, and I think Gina Carano is wrong, and I don't really like Gina Carano. But the enemy of my enemy in this case is right, but they're not my friend. I am not supporting Disney, particularly. I just think they happen to be right. But, you know... That means I regard them very much as a stopped clock. They're right occasionally, possibly by accident. But nevertheless, as I say, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, is remaining tight-lipped. This is sensible. He's being cautious. He's not saying anything that could be misinterpreted and used against him. Uh, So when asked if he had any thoughts uh, by the media, he basically said he didn't. Uh, And I think Bob Iger not having thoughts is, again, probably the status quo, if we're honest. Um, So that's that story. I'm going to watch it, not so much with interest, but with probably extreme amusement, and that's bad of me. Uh, But just just sometimes I like to see people who have done things that I don't like get their comeuppance, and I think that is something that is happening now. Uh, I may be wrong, of course. Corona might win. Um... And whilst I would not like that, that'd be funny as well, actually, wouldn't it? Can you imagine Disney losing that lawsuit? Okay, hello. This is Reggie from the future just dropping in. Uh, This is what happens when you record things in advance. This is why the show is always so rushed. If I don't leave it till the last minute, things happen. So things happened in relation to the Gina Carano story. So Carano has shown her hand a little bit. And to be honest, it's a little bit clever because what she said now is that she gets on fine with all of the cast and that all of the cast of The Mandalorian have been very supportive of her. I'm not sure that's true, but I also can't say that it isn't. So there's that. But what she's saying is now the discrimination that she suffered was based on gender. She cites, as an example, that other people on the cast also tweeted out political opinions, which were, she says, as extreme or more extreme than the things she said, and that they got away with it. And the reason, she says, she was singled out is because those cast members, such as Pedro Pascal, who tweeted something out comparing Donald Trump to Hitler, for example. Um, He's a man and she's female and she feels that it's because she was a woman expressing strong opinions that she has been discriminated against on the grounds of her gender. And that is clever because if there's any way to pull this off, that might be it. 
Now, I, 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 I'm fairly sure that what past me was saying about her contract and the fact that she was not, in fact, engaged to do any more work for Disney and she was not under contract. There was no agreement. So she, she hasn't been fired. She simply hasn't been hired again. I, I don't think she can do anything about that. I think legally that's pretty watertight. But if she can show that she had reasonable expectations that she would be rehired and that she's not been rehired, even though they intended to do so because she's a woman with opinions, that might work given that men with opinions were not fired. Now, she would have to show that gender is the issue there. And that, I suggest, would still be quite difficult because I come back to past me's earlier point that this is not a free speech issue. Disney is under no requirement, no obligation at all to allow people to say what they want. As I understand US law, and you know, caveats, I'm not a lawyer, but as I understand US law, Disney doesn't have to hire anyone it doesn't like, unless the reason they don't like them is that they come from a protected group. So if you don't like them because of their colour or whatever, we've been through this, then that's protected. But not liking somebody because they say things that you find embarrassing or objectionable, I don't think that's protected in any way. So she still has an uphill battle, but we'll see. And actually, speaking as future me, I'm just looking back on what past me was saying earlier. And can I just express my absolute incredulity that Disney appear to be the good guys here? How on earth did that happen? Anyway, we now return you to our previously scheduled ranting. Oh, and if you were wondering why I'm not using the TARDIS sound effect, which I would normally use when future me dives in here, it's because I've lost it. The whole file that I use for parking my little jingles and sound clips and stuff, I've lost it. And uh, I've not been able to find the TARDIS noise again in a usable format. So um, it'll be back. But for now, you're just going to have to do with the traditional Geeks at the Gate sting, which I'm still using after however many years it's been. Anyway, this is Future Me signing off. Past Me's coming back in one second. Anyway, speaking of things that are funny, other good news. Oh, yes. Good news. We like good news. And there is some. And this is Reggie from the future again in terms of what you've just listened to, because I am now recording this on the 15th of February. 2024, which means I'm recording it the day it drops, which means everything now is can be breaking news. And I don't know why I ever try and do anything in advance, honestly. <sighs> anyway, good news. Excellent news. Um, not breaking. It was announced yesterday, but long awaited because Marvel have told us who is going to be the Fantastic Four. No, you're not that bothered. Now, I've got to be honest, neither am I, really. Um, I mean, Marvel having new movies in the works, this I like. But the Fantastic Four? Yeah. I'll be honest, I've never really understood it. it. It probably says more about me than it says about the characters, but they've always seemed like the dullest Marvel characters to me. As a retailer, I can tell you that the Fantastic Four comic is better now than it's been for decades. 
And I can also tell you that literally, at least in Harrogate, nobody's reading it. And I mean nobody. Do you want to know how many copies of any issue of the Fantastic Four I've sold in the last five years? Actually, let's expand this. Do you want to know how many copies of anything to do with the, the Fantastic Four I've sold in the last five years at the only comic shop in Harrogate? Now, I do know there are other places to get comics, even if you live in Harrogate. So people may be getting them from another source, but I am the only comic shop in Harrogate. So I think I can give you a, a, a reasonable sense of how popular the characters are in this particular town. And in the last five years, I have sold, hang on, let me check my notes just to make sure this number is precise, zero copies of anything to do with the Fantastic Four. And back in the days when, I don't sell merch anymore, but back in the days when I did, I sold zero merch featuring characters who are in the Fantastic Four. And, and again, this is important, in the seven years I have been in charge of the only comic shop in town, I have been asked about the, the Fantastic Four exactly never. So, to call the announcement of the people who are going to be playing characters in the Fantastic Four long anticipated and eagerly awaited is, I think, a bit of a stretch. But, far be it from me to argue with Marvel's marketing department. So, let's say that this is the long-awaited, highly anticipated announcement of who's going to play the characters in the Fantastic Four. Who, for the benefit of people who've no idea what I'm talking about, are one of the oldest super teams in comics history. Certainly in Marvel history. Now, their backstory is, is relatively straightforward. They are a married couple, Reed and Sue Richards. I think they've always been married. They've always been married as long as I've been aware of the characters. Reed Richards is the hero known as Mr. Fantastic because he's incredibly modest and his superpower is being really stretchy and the second most intelligent person in the Marvel Universe. As the most intelligent person in the Marvel Universe has pointed out a couple of times at this point, he shouldn't be sad about that because he is the most intelligent man. Sue Richards is the invisible woman. She used to be the invisible girl, but apparently that's disrespectful now, so she's the invisible woman. And I have to say, one of the most underused and underrepresented characters in the whole of the MCU, her superpower is to be able to turn invisible. And as a side effect of that, she can also create invisible force fields. And there was a time when that power wasn't particularly interesting, because they never used her to do stuff like sneak around and spy on people in the way that you probably would if you could be invisible. But also the force field thing was only ever really used to show her as a sort of protective, nurturing character, because that's how female superheroes used to be portrayed. In recent years, though, people have got a little bit clever and they've started to imagine just how her power might actually work. And somebody, somewhere, decided that the reason she can turn invisible is that she can bend light so that you, the light passes around and you simply don't see her. And somebody then extrapolated, hang on, hang on. If she can control light in that way and she can control the way people perceive light in that way, then she doesn't have to apply it 
to making herself invisible if she doesn't want to. She can manipulate the light so that it doesn't go into people's irises, which means that she can make people blind. And the ability to generate invisible force fields isn't just a protective thing. That can be used offensively. And some really cool tales of Sue Storm spy have been told. And I love those. She's much more interesting on her own, is what I'm saying, because she never gets a chance to shine in the Fantastic Four. So that's reading Sue Richards. Now, Sue Richards was originally Sue Storm. And the fact that I know that makes me think that maybe she wasn't originally married. Anyway, Johnny Storm is her little brother. He's impulsive. He's a bit of a hothead. And uh, because Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, when they created the Fantastic Four, were, how shall I put this, quite literal. Johnny Storm is a hothead and he can also set himself on fire. That is his power. He is the Human Torch, not the original Human Torch, but still, he is the current Human Torch. His powers include being able to be on fire without hurting himself, which is why he's totally not been allowed in loads of cartoons. Studio bosses were worried that if kids saw that Johnny Storm could be on fire and not hurt himself, that they might set themselves on fire. And that was regarded as probably a bad outcome. So if you see Fantastic Four cartoons on the telly, often Johnny Storm has been replaced, uh, certainly by a robot in one set of films. Uh, and if you remember Spider-Man is an Amazing Friends, the original cartoon from the 80s, I believe there is a Spidey in his Amazing Friends now, but Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends was supposed to be Spider-Man, Iceman and the Human Torch. So you got Spidey and then you got Fire and Ice. Well, they still went with that, but they created an entirely new character called Firestar so that they could have a fire doing character who wasn't actually on fire all the time. Anyway, that's Johnny Storm. And then there's Ben Grimm, also known as The Thing. He's big and orange and can't pass for regular people because he's always big and orange, unlike the Hulk who is big and green, or occasionally big and grey, and once or twice big and red, in their superpowered form, but can just look like a regular person, can just be Bruce Banner when he wants to be. The thing is always big and orange and made of rocks. Uh, he does have a really cool catchphrase, though. Um, if the Hulk runs around going, Hulk, smash! Then Ben Grimm runs around going, It's clobbering time! Which, honestly, is significantly cooler. The backstories here is that these four people had a spaceship that was built by Reed Richards. And he took his girlfriend, I think she must have been his girlfriend at the time, his girlfriend, Sue Storm, and her girlfriend's annoying little brother, Johnny Storm, and the pilot, Benjamin Grimm, to space where they got bombarded with cosmic rays and came back altered in the ways that they have been to have powers. So stretchy and invisible and set on fire and big and hard and strong. And as I say, not actually a massive deal, except Marvel has always thought they were. I remember seeing copies of the Fantastic Four in the newsagents in Doncaster, where I used to buy my comics before I had access to a comic shop back in the 80s. And the strapline on top of the Fantastic Four comics was always the world's greatest comics magazine, which I never bought. 
I mean, literally and figuratively, I never bought a copy of the Fantastic Four because I thought it looked rubbish. And I also never bought the idea that that was the world's greatest comics magazine because it patently wasn't. Because that is Batman. It's not even Marvel's greatest comics magazine because that is clearly the amazing Spider-Man. So wrong on all counts, in my view. But that's not the news. The news is that they are making a Fantastic Four film because the other ones have been so well-received. And um, they've announced the cast. And do you know what? Actually, I after everything I've just said, and I'm not a fan of the Fantastic Four. I'm really, really not. But do you know what? I wasn't a fan of Iron Man before Robert Downey Jr. And I wasn't really a fan of the Hulk before Mark Ruffalo. And honestly, who cared about Hawkeye until the Avengers movie? And so on, and so on, and so on. So, really does not do to underestimate the power of Marvel Studios to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. They're very, very good at it. Uh, to this end, actually, I would encourage you to go back and rewatch if you have if you've watched it before the Eternals movie. If you've got Disney Plus, you can. It's, it, it takes a couple of hours of your time, and just go back and rewatch it because. It, it's not the movie you think it was. It's much, much better than you remember. Just trust me, it is. And if you doubt Marvel Studios' ability to take a sow's ear and make a silk purse, Iron Man. Who doesn't love Iron Man now? Who, who doesn't think Tony Stark is just the coolest? Because kind of everybody does. And yet, in 2007... The year before Iron Man came out as a movie, if you'd asked anybody who was really into comics about Iron Man, they'd have told you he was a D-lister at best. But then they cast Robert Downey Jr., who, if you recall, many people were writing off as a has-been at that point. And because they made that possibly counterintuitive, but actually perfect bit of casting Iron Man was a massive success as a movie and was the foundation upon which the entire MCU was built so they've got a track record of really good success in this area I would argue which means I would be an idiot to write off the Fantastic Four movie so, who has been cast well as Mr Fantastic Reed Richards we have Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian himself. Genius. Absolute genius. He is the internet's favourite dad. He's got a bit of age on him. So he is, you know, sort of credible as the, the head of the family, if you like. And, you know, the Fantastic Four is regarded as Marvel's first family. So that's that's kind of important. A little bit patriarchal, but that's the Fantastic Four for you. He's a Solid, solid actor. Yeah, loving that. And then we have Vanessa Kirby as Susan Storm, which means, note, it doesn't look as though Reed and Sue are going to be married, at least in the first film. So that's interesting. That's giving room for character arcs and development and stuff like that. So that's all good. Now, I will be honest, I have no idea who Vanessa Kirby was until the announcement. I have had to look her up, and she's been in exactly nothing. That I have seen. Uh, but you may recognise her from The Crown, 
because uh, allegedly she played Princess Margaret between 2016 and 2017. Um, she's been in Hobbs and Shaw. She's been in the Mission Impossible film series. So I might have seen her in that, but she didn't stand out. Uh, she's Empress Josephine in Napoleon. So she's, you know, she's been in big film roles and she's got, you know, some critical chops as well. So, yeah, that's looking positive. Uh, so uh, so that's that's Sue Storm. And then we have who's playing who's playing Ben Grimm? Eben Moss Bachrach. And again, I'm really sorry if I've mispronounced that. Uh, I've I've looked for pronunciations and come across several different ones. So I'm going with Bachrach. He's a guy I do recognize because he was micro in the first season of The Punisher over on Netflix, still showing on Disney Plus and highly recommended, I have to say. He's brilliant in that. Absolutely brilliant in that. Uh, what else has he done? Uh, he's in The Bear, which I haven't seen, but apparently people like it. Uh, and of course, he's in Andor. So I recognise him from that, too. And that, of course, brings us to the charismatic hothead, Johnny Storm. Previously played on film by a certain Chris Captain America Evans and I one Michael B. Jordan. Now going to be played by Joseph Quinn, who is probably best known as Eddie from Stranger Things. It's Eddie from Stranger Things, the guy who completely stole season four of Stranger Things. Just think about that. He's in a cast with Millie Bobby Brown and Finn Wolfhart and a rider and all the rest of that ridiculously outrageously charismatic cast and he stole the entire show even though everybody else had like two or three seasons of their characters behind him he just came in and took over so yeah he's good he's really good so in spite of my complete indifference to the fantastic four as a book and as a concept, I'm going to say I'm a little bit excited about this. Just just a little bit. Hey, OK, I'm really excited about this because, as I said, Marvel Studios has a really good track record now of taking really disregarded characters and making them into huge phenomena. And with this cast, all they need now is to get the writing uh, I was going to say even halfway right, three quarters right would probably be a minimum, I would say. But do that with this cast? That's that's going to be great, I think. That's going to be absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I'm moderately excited. And speaking of Marvel Studios projects that I'm reasonably excited about, we have had, since last we spoke, a new trailer for Deadpool and Wolverine, which is what Deadpool 3 is now called. We will be honest... A trailer so good, I wouldn't have felt particularly shortchanged if I'd stayed up to watch the Super Bowl just to see it when it first aired. I mean, I didn't do that because I don't like American football. No shade on anybody who does. You like whatever you like. That's fine. Uh, but personally, I don't want to watch an hour of sporting excitement crammed into four and a half hours of television. That's just me. But the trailer. The trailer's... As meta as you might expect, we knew it was going to be meta. It's Deadpool. We see briefly Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, so that's cool. We see lots of characters who were dead. I mean, Marina Baccarin's back, for example, uh, and she died in Deadpool too. 
Although there's clearly an alternate reality thing going on because the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, what are famous from being in Loki, that TV show on Disney Plus, turn up. And here's the thing. Everyone's losing their minds online about Deadpool 3. Nobody is criticising it without having seen it for utilising something that you will only know about if you've watched a TV show on Disney+. Plus. Bear in mind that many of these are the same people who refused to go and watch the Marvels because in order to know who Monica Rambeau and Kamala Khan were, you needed to have watched... Let me check my notes again. A TV show on Disney+. Plus. But we're coming back to the Marvels in a minute, so I won't get on my hobby horse here. What is plain is they are clearly going to be using Deadpool to at least acknowledge that there are lots of Marvel characters that have appeared in films made by studios that aren't Marvel studios, up to and including Deadpool himself, of course. And, you know, we get to see Deadpool in front of uh, a sort of ruined 20th Century Fox logo, for example. Uh, He himself makes comment in the trailer about the cinematic universe being on its last legs and he's here to save Disney. And so it looks as though it's going to be ridiculous, irreverent fun, which is what Deadpool should be. So yeah, again, mildly encouraged. And since we are talking about Marvel Studios, I am just going to point out that the Marvels is now available to watch on Disney+. And if you have Disney+, it's 90 minutes of your time that will be amply rewarded by just the best fun. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again, repeatedly, probably. Iman Vellani is joy in a bottle. She is amazing as Kamala Khan. Ms. Marvel as a character is amazing, but this portrayal of her is just brilliant. I, I simply don't understand how anybody can watch Iman Vellani as Ms. Marvel and not smile. I don't see how it's physically possible. I'm not saying that the Marvels is a perfect movie. It's not. Uh, For some reason, they seem to have tried to shoehorn the entire plot of of what appears to be a discarded Captain Marvel 2 as backstory. And that really doesn't work. But it doesn't matter because nobody's watching this movie for the plot. We are watching this movie for character. And the team of Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel and Monica Rambeau being whoever the heck she's being this week. I love the way they make a running gag out of Ms. Marvel trying to give Monica Rambeau a codename. Interaction for 90 minutes is just pure, pure joy. If you have Disney+, Plus, it's going to cost you nothing but 90 minutes. And 90 minutes, very well spent, I would say. Anyway, I think we're going to wrap up the geeky entertainment news there. Uh, There's probably more. But I'm just noticing that I've been whiffling on for nearly three quarters of an hour now, and I haven't even touched the news from other areas of geekery. So, um, yeah, let's 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 leave it there. Nurse Chapel, sign us off. This news really changes everything. And of course reason we can't continue talking about geeky entertainment is we really need to talk about
Because there is always something going on in space. And on the day that I'm recording this final segment of the show, the 15th of February 2024, there has been a historic rocket launch. It's not my emphasis, by the way, that's NASA's, who are insisting that this is a historic rocket launch. And I suppose it is a bit. I just don't want to get too excited about it because I don't want to get too excited about SpaceX because I'm really, really worried about the way that SpaceX is going to end up as long as the guy that's currently in charge of SpaceX remains in charge of SpaceX. The guy currently in charge of SpaceX, and I'm not saying his name, I'm going to try and get through an entire show without saying his name, but the guy that's currently in charge of SpaceX doesn't inspire confidence anymore. He really, really doesn't. Anyway, SpaceX itself remains an incredibly effective launch organisation. I tell you, say what you like about the guy in charge. The organisation is doing astounding work. And in the continued absence of their much-vaunted Starship, we do have a significant milestone in that company's progress and in that company's capability. Because... SpaceX have just launched a rocket to the moon. Not only that, its payload, the IM-1 and Odysseus lander, are also made by a private company, Intuitive Machines, which means this is an entirely commercial flight, except, of course, that it's paid for by NASA and it's doing a job that NASA have asked it to do. But this is NASA not doing things in-house. This is NASA outsourcing. And that's Kind of an important step, I think. Not the first commercial space flight to the moon. Uh, I, I, there was one just a couple of weeks ago which went horribly awry, I think you may recall. But still, so far, as I record this at 20 minutes past 10 on the 15th of February 2024, so far, and I'm touching wood as I say this, all systems optimal. Everything's going fine. The Falcon 9 rocket booster that was used to put this thing on its lunar trajectory landed safely. And the IM-1 spacecraft is currently on target. So all good so far. And SpaceX needs to show this. And I have no doubt that SpaceX will, in fact, use this mission to demonstrate their ability to do this kind of thing reliably, which is really going to be important if we're going to have commercial spaceflight in the way we currently have commercial air flight. And yes, don't worry, we're coming to that. And in spite of my fairly strong feelings about the guy in charge at SpaceX, I really want SpaceX to succeed here because they deserve to. They've, tr they've, they've blazed a trail in a way that so many other companies promised to do and failed. Virgin Galactic, I'm looking at you. They have done incredible work and their engineering has proved to be as robust as their vision, which is what has carried them so much further than all of their rivals in this space at the moment. So we will see how things go, but for right now, jolly well done, chaps. Jolly well done. And although there is much more to talk about in space, a uh, huge fireball over Hawaii, for instance, uh, we will move on because we are running out of time and... I have one other bit of news I want to take a very quick look at before we go. Spaceman, 
And since I still don't have a jingle for either engineering or aeronautics, I guess you're just going to have to make do with me telling you that this next segment is about engineering and aeronautics. Specifically, Boeing. Oh my word, what are they doing? You will know, probably, if you're a regular listener, that I am something of a plane geek. I love anything that flies. Seriously, that's the core of my geekiness. Spaceships, birds, aeroplanes... If it flies, I probably like it. And while civil aviation lacks the cool factor of military aviation, uh, it's significantly more important in the grand scheme of things. Whilst I can wax lyrical at some length about the lost airliners of yesteryear, like the de Havilland Comet, and I can be as much of a fanboy for Airbus as you like, the fact remains that Boeing has been a name that's been synonymous with airliners since... Well, easily the 1960s. The jumbo jet. The much-loved and much-lamented Boeing 747. Set the template, really, for what airliners would be. There's a reason they all look the same. Boeing, Boeing was just the name for so, so long. But now, Boeing's reputation, and it's astonishing how quickly a reputation can change, Boeing's reputation has become one for more falling out of the sky than flying in it, which is not a good look if you're looking to carry passengers. A certain amount of risk and danger is accepted in military vehicles. Military aviation is a dangerous thing, and you know people accept that when they climb aboard the airframe. This is not a risk that people are particularly happy to take on a weekend break to Magaluf or a business flight to Hong Kong. But whilst flying is statistically still the safest way to travel, you are far more likely to hurt yourself on the car ride to the airport than you are whilst on a plane. But when things go wrong with the safety of civil airliners, people really notice, because it's never not dramatic. So there have been a couple of recent incidents at Boeing where windows have not been properly fitted. This is not a good thing if you're flying in a pressurised tube at the furthest reaches of Earth's atmosphere. And recently, a door fell off whilst in flight on a Boeing MAX 9. Now, what seems to have happened here is that this wasn't actually a door. The doors of airplanes are really quite strong. They're actually designed so that once closed, you literally cannot open them whilst in flight because but they're designed so that the pressure inside the cabin pushes the door more firmly into place. You just can't open them when the plane is in the air. Except in a, a, a bid to make their designs more versatile, that airframes can be more carefully tailored to the designs and desires of their client airlines, Boeing builds their aircraft with Spaces for doors, doorways, if you like, in the side of the planes, where no door is actually going to be. So that they can have doors wherever the airline wants them, depending on the layout of seating that they want. And if a doorway that's built into the airframe is not going to actually be a door, they put in what's called a door plug, which is a door-shaped thing that is fitted very securely into the doorframe so that you can't see it. If you're inside or outside the aircraft, you can't see where that is. But it's there 
if they ever want to retrofit a door at a later date. It means that changes can be made much more easily, much more cheaply. What happened on this particular flight is that the door plug in one of those hidden doorways failed and was blown out of the plane. Now, it happened at relatively low altitude. Everybody was wearing their seatbelt. Nobody was hurt, although I imagine some changes of clothing were required because, yeah, it would have been quite scary. And I imagine there's a whole plane load of passengers who are now traumatised for life and will probably not fly again. What makes this incident particularly concerning is that what seems to have happened is that the plane had recently been in for maintenance, which you would think would make the whole thing safer. It's just been serviced. It you know, should be tip top. But the door plug was not secured. The, the, the bolts that should have been holding it in place were simply not there. They didn't fail. They weren't fitted. Well, clearly, that is bone-crunching incompetence on somebody's part. An individual, I suspect, will be at fault here. Well, actually, probably a couple of individuals, because there's the person who should have fitted the bolts, and there's the person who should have made sure that they'd been fitted. And if there aren't those kinds of checks happening, then the entire company procedure is at fault. You can't muck about with aircraft safety. You just can't. It is not an area where corners can be cut. Now, I don't say this to put you off flying. As I said, statistically, you are more likely to be killed on the car ride to the airport than you are in a plane. Planes, as a rule, are ridiculously safe, precisely because there's no version of an accident that isn't potentially catastrophic. So commercial planes are, generally speaking, ridiculously safe because they have to be. I am happy to tell you, fly with confidence. I'm not saying nothing bad will happen. I'm just saying it's significantly less likely to happen on a plane than literally anywhere else. But it does make me ask questions about Boeing as a company. There's clearly an issue with procedure there. If things are not properly secured, then that's that's a maintenance issue. And that maintenance was most recently done by Boeing themselves. So that's not good. And then you look at Boeing's performance elsewhere. We're not in the space section of the show anymore. But Boeing was supposed to be building spacecraft for NASA. And they're not ready. And they're years behind schedule. One of the reasons SpaceX has taken off, if you'll pardon the pun, quite so successfully as it has, is that its competition has just consistently failed to keep up. Now, Boeing has a track record in space that goes back to the beginning of the space race. And yet this upstart little company, SpaceX, can come from nowhere and literally steal their lunch money. That doesn't happen at a well-run, well-managed company. Something is going wrong with Boeing. Given what Boeing make, that is a cause for concern. Now, I don't fly very much. I don't travel outside the UK very often. And, you know, I, I try and keep my carbon footprint as low as possible. You're welcome. So even if I was not confident in the general safety of airliners, which I am, I wouldn't be concerned about a lack of safety at Boeing, it's clearly not going to affect me, except I do happen to live on the ground. And what happens when airliners fall out of the sky is that they land on the ground. I don't live that far from an airport. I would prefer to not have a Boeing fall out of the sky onto my head. For that reason, but mostly because I really love aircraft 
I am going to be keeping an eye on this whole situation because Boeing needs to pull its socks up on literally every front. If it was just like one maintenance error, that would be one thing. But this seems to be a systemic issue across the board at Boeing. And I don't like to see that. So I will be checking and seeing what's happened. The FAA in the US has uh, taken fairly strong action to ensure that Boeing improves its safety record. We'll see how that pans out. I wish them luck. I really do. I want Boeing to succeed. I think a deeper dive into their engineering issues might be in order at some point in the nearish future. Well, now, though, we are running out of time. I am just going to wrap up with a little bit of an apology. Uh, in a recent episode, I described Reacher Season 2 as, and I'm quoting myself now, dumb as rocks. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I really did. It was a positive review. But the show is, I said, as dumb as rocks. And we've had a complaint from a rock, which acknowledges that it does not have the highest IQ in the world because it has no synapses or indeed brain of any kind, but it's still cleverer than Reacher Season 2. And so I am happy to acknowledge that my language was both insensitive and inaccurate. And uh, yes, Reacher Season 2 is in fact dumber than rocks. Still enjoyable though, if you haven't watched Reacher, it's really fun. But enough of this frivolity. Uh, we're going to have another deep dive next week. So it'll be a news light episode next week, having whiffled on for 57 minutes about various bits of news this week. Very news light next week. Uh, very, very review heavy. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about next week and a bunch of people I want to talk about next week. We haven't done a wonderful woman of science or indeed a wonderful woman of science fiction for a couple of weeks now. So I will be trying to fit that in. And there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about about comics, too. Uh, final word before we go, by the way, because you've only got until February the 21st. If you want to exhibit at Thought Bubble in November this year, uh, you need to go to thoughtbubblefestival.com and get your application in. It is a curated event. Not everyone who wants to be there is going to get a table because there aren't enough. But there's no way if you don't apply. So thoughtbubblefestival.com for information about exhibiting at Thoughtbubble. And you can already get your tickets at the same website. Obviously, expect much more about Thoughtbubble as the year goes on. Because it's only February and I'm already excited about it. And very quickly, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, uh, but you may remember that we were nominated for Best Comic Store in the Country in the recent Comics Scene Awards, and I am very pleased to tell you that we didn't win. We did, however, come joint 13th. And honestly, I'll take that. I'm frankly impressed we got any votes at all, given the size of us against the size of the people we were up against. So, yay us! Woohoo! Anyway, uh, time to go. I should just, as is now traditional, tell you that Speaking with Destination Venus is a Venus Rising media production that we will see you back here next week. Same time, same listening device or other listening device if you actually prefer. I'm not your dad. You do what you like. But until we meet again around your chosen speakers, all that remains for me to do is just to remind you, whatever happens in the next week, be kind to yourself. Be kind to absolutely everybody else. Stay safe, stay sane, and above all else, 
just stay geeky.